Welcome to Your Healing Journey with Dr. Debbie. In the next 30 minutes, get ready to discover the secrets of learning how to heal your body naturally. Dr. Debbie is your guide to a longer, more vital, and healthier life. We'll explore nutrition, vitamin supplementation, mindfulness, and optimal wellness. So sit back and relax, and let's begin this life-changing experience. Welcome to Your Healing Journey, and here's your host, Dr. Debbie. Welcome back, everybody, and again, I have our very knowledgeable and amazing Dr. Janice Gruska. She's a naturopath and medical doctor who's specialized in natural birthing and in taking care of women. And we had her here a couple of weeks ago and she had so much to share that we brought her back again. So um, before we get started, I want to start with my usual prayer. Father God, many of us need healing. I need healing for past hurts, random physical pains that I allow to waylay my days, and spiritual healing for various reasons. I reach up to you to receive this healing so that I may be whole and that I may be able to then minister to others in a way that brings you fullness of glory. How wonderful to be able to worship you without stain or blemish and to be totally healed. Show others your healing power so that they may also be healed and walk in wholeness. In, a, in the precious name of Jesus, amen. So, welcome back again, and I want to remind you who Dr. Gruska is. Uh, she was a graduate of National College of the National College of Naturopathic Medicine. Dr. Janice Gruska pra- practices primary care medicine with a focus on health care of women and children. For 25 years, she provided respectful, quality, individualized maternity care and out-of-hospital delivery support in her practice. She encouraged women to reconnect with their body and baby while building confidence in the birthing process. During her professional career, Dr. Gruska has chosen to share her knowledge of naturopathic medicine through teaching. She has taught at the Sonoran University in Arizona and is currently an academic and clinical associate professor of gynecology and pediatrics at Bastyr University, California. In her practice, she strives to create an attentive and compassionate atmosphere with an emphasis on supporting positive change through life transitions. She incorporates an extensive selection of natural medical interventions, which include homeopathy, clinical nutrition, botanical medicine, subtle energy therapeutics, and mind-body counseling. Janice, thank you again so much for coming back to us. So, Hello. Hello, Dr. Debbie. It's uh, Thank you so much much for having me on the show again. It's a real pleasure being here today with you. Well, I am so honored to have you here because you have so much to tell us. So I thought we left off with, you know, what happens when you cut the umbilical cord. So I'm going to move on to the next question. And a lot of questions, a lot of people ask this question, is having a baby at home safe? Well, yes, this is not only from my personal experience and working with midwives over the years, but Also, there are some studies to show that to be true. And in fact, in 2019, there was a very large, what they call systematic review and meta-analysis that was published in The Lancet. And The Lancet is a very prestigious um, medical uh, journal um, that looked at 14 studies. So what a review and meta-analysis is, is they look at several different studies um, and then uh, pull the information together and gather the data to see whether or not um, that they it shows efficacy. And what they did was they took this data from around 500,000 intended home births. So it's a large study. 
um, or studies that were done that were pulled together. And the authors found that the risk of perinatal or neonatal mortality was no different when a birth was intended at home or in a hospital. So even uh, such a, uh, a mainstream medical journal is saying when we looked at all the studies, these 14 studies that took in 500,000 women, so it's statistically significant that there is no difference in terms of having the outcomes both for mom and the baby in and out of the hospital. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, it's been my belief as well, because probably women and baby feel more comfortable and more at ease when they're at home, surrounded by things they're familiar with and people they love. Absolutely, absolutely. And the statistics show it. It's, it's yeah. um, that, um, of course, we have to realize that these studies also take into consideration women who are we call low risk. Of course. So there's no high risk. Uh, this does not include high risk uh, pregnancies and births, but low risk, which are the majority, about 90% of all women going in a hospital or having an out of hospital birth are low risk. And so a good majority, it's only maybe about 10 to 15% possibly at the higher end of the statistics that a woman needs that extra added care of an obstetrician. And if you really look at from around the world, if you look at Asia and Europe, um, especially the studies that have shown is that um, the majority of the women start out with a midwife, not an obstetrician. It's really only here in the United States that a, a woman starts with an obstetrician as their um, primary prenatal care provider, which is not seen like that throughout the world. Yes, we've got to start knowing that birthing is a natural process and most women are perfectly prepared and healthy enough to do it at home. Yeah, and midwives actually spend a little bit more time with their with their uh, uh, mothers. Um, they uh, help women feel empowered and they support uh, their decision making and uh, their, their beliefs uh, because not everybody wants to birth the same way. So it's very individualized. Another thing that I've noticed um, is that women who do out-of-hospital births want to utilize nutrition and healthy living and natural therapies um, as part of their care to maintain wellness during their pregnancy and um, to have some control um, of their labor and delivery, which may not necessarily uh, uh, be the case when you're working with an obstetricians. And I don't want to make it sound like obstetricians are a bad way to go. It's just that because of the nature of their, um, the way they have their um, practice set up, they don't have the time to spend with women like midwives do. Yeah, much more caring. What about birthing a baby in a water tub? Oh yeah, this is this is a this is often uh, I've often have women ask about um, you know birthing uh, a baby in water, and I know some progressive hospitals uh, may allow you to labor in a, a birthing tub, but they don't want you to deliver. But there's research. Uh, research is, in, um, of course, most of these studies are done not in the United States, but overseas. So um, in Oxford, um, England, they examined 
um, the outcome of uh, the ma maternal and neonatal outcome following immersion in water during labor and birth. So when, once again, it's kind of like what they did the comparative studies, um, they found that water immersion actually reduced at the use of epidurals, use of injected opioids that sometimes are given during labor, um, episiotomies. It helps to reduce uh, maternal pain. It actually speeds up labor. It can reduce blood pressure. Um, it reduces the need for cesarean section and postpartum hemorrhaging. So there's a lot of advantages. There's also, also the study showed there was an increase in um, mother satisfaction wow. um, when they um, are um, in water because they have that extra added pain relief because, you know, when you're in water, you're kind of like in zero gravity. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot, lot less pressure on that muscle, the uterine muscle. And um, when they looked at fetal outcome. So babies, when they're born, um, I'm uh, what they call the APGAR score. So that is looking at the wellness of the baby at one minute and five minutes after the baby is delivered. And what they found out that being in water does not compromise that overall um, health of the baby once the baby is born. So really, the statistics show that there is there is not any problem with birthing in water or laboring in water. And in fact, there could be some advantages associated with it. If people want more information about it, there is an organization called the International Water Birth Association that you can Google. And it really does have a lot of the statistics and a lot of information that you know mothers-to-be um, and couples can kind of look at if they're interested in water births. That's great. So yeah. That's amazing. And then how about on the contrast, how do forceps and vacuum extractions potentially harm a baby's brain development and or health? Yeah. So um, this is what we call assisted delivery, the use of these two techniques, uh, forcep delivery and vacuum extraction. So forceps has to be done in a hospital because a um, anesthesia needs to be, uh, a local anesthesia needs to be used um, in order to use the instruments. But a vacuum extractor actually can be used out of hospital. I can tell you that most midwives um, uh, rarely use a vacuum extractor. Um, but if you look at forceps delivery, which is a little bit more intense of a um, intervention, um, there can be complications. Babies are put at a higher risk for um, what they call hematomas. So like the pressure of the instrument against the brain can cause bleeding, um, you know, uh, right underneath the, you know, between the skin and the skull. Um, sometimes if, depending on how skilled the obstetrician is, because this this is actually a procedure that can only be done by obstetricians. There can be skull fractures, um, depending on how well it's placed, because part of the um, instrument is placed on the face. You can sometimes have hemorrhaging, you know, uh, you know what they call retinal hemorrhaging, so eye hemorrhaging. Um, uh, in the worst-case scenarios, there have been some uh, um, statistics to show that it may contribute to cerebral palsy if it's not 
you know, um, utilized correctly. So this is, that's for forceps delivery. Um, in terms, oh, you can also have like lacerations also on yeah. the face. Um, in terms of uh, vacuum um, assisted delivery, um, there's a little less of a risk, but you can have scalp, you know, hematomas, which is that blood pooling between the skull and the, and the uh, skin. Um, uh, worst case scenario, you can have uh, what they call hemorrhaging, um, intracranial hemorrhaging if it's not used correctly. Um, so even though there's a little less complications, you still have a little bit of a risk. Um, another thing that I want to point out with a forceps delivery for the mother giving birth, you can have an increased risk of pelvic organ prolapse, Oof. vaginal lacerations, or, uh, uh, what they call perineal. So this is right at the vaginal opening tears. So, um, you know, there is some risks involved with both. There's a little less with vacuum assisted. Um, it's a little more gentler um, than the forceps, but both of them do have some risks associated with it. Um, and I'm sure you're thinking like, well, why would you use these instruments to begin with, right? right? Yeah, right. why would you use them? <laughs> well, oftentimes if there is a slowing down of the pushing, stage so the baby's not moving as um, quickly as the practitioner who is attending um, or if there is some fetal distress which means that the heart rate might be slowing down um, then instruments sometimes are used but in my experience and the reason why out of hundreds of births that i have done i think i've used it once um, that uh, the reason why it's needed is because we don't allow the mom to get up and be in an upright position to open mm -hmm. up, you know, what we call the pelvic bowl or the, or the mm -hmm. structures or, you know, in that pelvic region. And, you know, as a chiropractor that, you know, there's a lot that goes on with those bones. They can get locked. Oh, they yeah. can get, you know, not have the ability to move in order to kind of open up for the, the baby to come through. So what we, I have seen without a hospital births is that midwives get the mom up. They get her right. in different positions. They, you know, maybe get her on her hands and knees and, and kind of rock the pelvis to kind of open open up the space in order to allow a little bit more space for the baby to come through. So um, I feel that, you know, assisted delivery in extreme circumstances, like if there's a lot of fetal distress, um, might be needed. But um, for the most part, I think it's utilized just to get the baby out faster. Right. And instead of giving the mom and the baby a little time and changing positions in order to allow that pelvic outlet, you know, that area to open up a little bit to allow the baby to come through a little bit better. Yeah, that's, that's been my experience too. And there is a technique in chiropractic called the Webster technique. And yes. it's something that um, women who are pregnant can come and get treated regularly to make mm -hmm. sure that their pelvis is aligned and open enough to be able to have a healthy, you know, delivery labor and for this not to occur so 
there's there's ways to prevent this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, when I uh, practiced in Arizona and I was doing deliveries, I actually had a woman have her chiropractor at the delivery. Awesome. Um, so <laughs> he he could kind of help, you know, with right. adjusting the pelvis as as her labor went along. And um, so I, I find that to be, and most midwives know you get women and if a woman is in a certain position and the baby's not moving down readily, you change the position, right? Yep. So, yeah. That's great. Okay. So what about what can be done to prevent tearing of the vaginal tissues during the birthing process? Yeah, this, this is a big one because there is a, 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 a there is a belief in medicine that the you have more control of the baby when the baby's out than than the baby in the birth canal. So, what I find is important is to allow time for the baby to be delivered. As long as the baby is not in any distress, you can allow that time, and you allow the tissue to you know. Uh, slowly expand it Mm -hmm. was meant to do that but if you try to push something through before it's ready you have tears Um, another uh, uh, part of decreasing the likelihood is uh, giving some pressure counter pressure against the vaginal opening as the baby is emerging so that that tissue doesn't stretch too much Mm -hmm. while the baby's head is emerging and sometimes um, uh, I have seen that to be very helpful. Also, stretching the tissue prior to mm-hmm. delivery is also helpful, just to kind of prepare to soften and prepare the tissue. Yeah. But the big thing is controlled deliver what we call in medicine controlled delivery of the head, not to push any faster than what the baby is emerging. Yeah. You know, and really just protecting that external part, the, what we call the perineum, the opening of the vaginal uh, area to uh, counter pressure the baby's head emerging. And I rarely had tears. And most, you know, um, midwives don't have very many tears because of that. And if there was maybe a very slight little tear that didn't even really need um any sort of repair at all. So that's wonderful. Women can deliver babies without needing episiotomies or, mm-hmm. or, or resulting in tears if they just give it a little time. So it's just patience and letting the process patience. happen. Patience. Yes. Patience is a big word in labor and delivery. <laughs> <laughs> so, what tools and strategies did you use to assist in achieving a successful labor and delivery? Well, that's a big question, and it really depends on the woman. But first of all, I must say that um, you need to prepare the mom even prior to delivery. So from the moment that I would see a woman in my practice for prenatal care, we talk about preparing mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually her process 
of having a baby. We talk about if there's any fears, if there's, you know, what makes her feel the safest? Is there any, you know, process that she needs? You know, like some women, you know, like having certain music on. Other women want certain people at her birth, but not other people. I've even have women who have, you know, certain uh, prayers that they want to, mm-hmm. to say or, you know, have a, um, a, um, a certain environments, you know, like maybe um, a, a certain aromatherapy, you know, it's like you have to you have to prepare for birth. You know, birth is not just something it's like, okay, we'll just, you know, kind of take it as it comes. You have to, it's, it's a preparation of a, of a journey of a process. So if we know all of this prior to, and if a woman prepares on all those levels prior to, then you're going to have a successful outcome. Um, the, uh, I, I feel the biggest, you know, um, uh, guilt that we, you know, uh, that we're guilty of in, in medicine, uh, modern obstetrical medicine, is that we don't allow the woman her process and we don't help prepare the woman. Um, and, and part of that, I feel, is because the doctor feels that he is in control. And one of the things I always tell people when they say, oh, you do births, how many babies have you delivered? I always say I have been witnessing <laughs> the birth of these children. I don't do the, I don't do any effort other than right. being there and keeping a woman and baby safe. The woman does all the work. So I can't say that I delivered the baby. The mom delivered the baby. I just created a safe and you know safe right. space for her to be able to do so. You're just the facilitator. Um, Yes, I'm a facilitator of birth. You know, I, I don't deliver babies, though I've seen many women deliver babies yes. along the way. <laughs> they do all the work. You just they try do to help all the them. work. <laughs> <laughs> and Definitely. Yeah. Do you currently cover these topics with your naturopathic medical students at Bastyr University? Yes, we do have a maternity care class. Um, it's the start of our pediatric series. Um, we first start off with maternity care, and then we go into pediatric development. And then we have a series of what we call pediatric therapeutics, which looks at different organ systems and the most likely uh, conditions that you will see in a family or primary care practice and how to utilize natural therapeutics in order to um, uh, treat these conditions. Yeah, so it's the first part of our pediatric um, uh, uh, series at Bastyr University. It makes me feel so comfortable that we have these doctors in training, understanding what an individualized and special time this is for women and how to cover all the bases and make everything Mm -hmm. go smoothly. Because, you know, I think what I heard recently is that in medicine now they consider this a emergency procedure. Like this is an emergency, like this is a a disease. And it's, it saddens me that, you know, birthing process is natural. It's something that happens. It's Mm -hmm. not an emergency procedure. I mean, like you said, 90% of women are going to go through this naturally in a healthy manner. And there isn't going to be some emergency that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and in addition to that, um, I want to point out too is that 
we need to give women confidence yes. that they can go through the process. I think women, especially when you're having your first baby and you haven't been through it, you know, there's a lot of, you know, nervousness or fears surrounding it. And, you know, when society has only given us images of like things can go wrong in birth, mm -hmm. right? Um, then, you know, women think like there's potentially something that can, can go wrong. Um, one of the things that I got to say is that PBS has a series called Call the Midwife, mm. uh, which looks at the um, history of, you know, uh, midwifery and birthing in um, England um, from like around after the war through, you know, um, the latter part of the uh, 20th century. And it's one of the few uh, series that I actually can say that they show normal labor and delivery and birth, and they look at birth as a normal, natural occurrence, um, where most of the time our society doesn't give that sort of image to women. And women, unlike the you know time when we had small communities and women helped each other give births, young women are not exposed to women giving birth, right? So yeah. it's a mystery to them. And one of the first things that I got to say that midwives do, and I did in my practice, was tell women, I know you can do this. Yes. That there's no doubt in my mind that you can do this. And you just need to believe that. And hopefully through the process, we can, you know, an education that we can, you know, to make you feel more confident that you will have a successful, you know, birthing experience. Well, I think this show and all these questions that you've answered is a good start to give women confidence that they can have a pleasant, wonderful experience having a baby and they can be successful. So I really appreciate you coming on the show again and giving us so much information. So thanks again, Dr. Gruska, for being such a wealth of knowledge and well, helping women feel thank you good. So much, thank you so much, Dr. Debbie, for having me um, on the show. It's been really great. Thank you so much. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day. And again, thank you. And thank you all for listening to Your Healing Journey with Dr. Debbie. And next week, I will have a very special guest that is going to share some teas with us, some cayenne pepper teas and other pepper teas and their benefits in their use. So I will see you next week. And thank you for being here again. And God bless you all.